back to the weekly run. My name is Andy Larson. I'm here with Eric Walden. We are the Utah Jazz beat writers for the Salt Lake Tribune. Coming at you after game two, heading into game three of the preseason. And of course, this is our preseason overreaction podcast. We'll try not to overreact, but um, we do want to talk about what we've seen about from the Jazz so far and what that might mean for the regular season. Eric, how are you today? I was great up until you said that we weren't going to overreact. Like, that's all I wanted to do. <laughs> like, you know me. I'm just this incredibly reactionary person who goes over the top about every little thing. So, what is your what is your preseason hot take? Give me, if you were a radio guy right now, what's your hot take? I mean, the Jazz are going 72-0, and 0, right? The offense, I, the offense is going to perform at historically brilliant levels. The defense is back to being the best in the NBA. Uh, undefeated season, NBA records, championship coming to Salt Lake City. To be honest, if I've if I have a hot take from the preseason, and you know that's a your your hot take was satirical. I, I'm you know I'm I'm not thrilled with it. My hot take is that the Suns may not be very good this year. Yeah, that's that's a fair one. After uh, all these prognostications we've seen with the Suns finishing like third in the Western Conference, like. Yeah, Chris Paul's pretty good, and the rest of the team still needs some work other than him and Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. Well, in particular, their second unit's really bad. And then I don't think DeAndre Ayton's good. I'm, I'm, maybe it's just that he was playing Rudy Gobert and will be fine against other guys. But like, I thought he looked pretty iffy in these last in these last couple of games. Well, that should just uh, prompt another hot take, which is that Rudy Gobert will be back to uh, being Defensive Player of the Year, third time in four <laughs> years, after being wrongfully deprived this past year. He wasn't wrongfully d- deprived. I mean, look, if even the local Tribune beat writer is voting for the competition, uh, I think it's fair to say that Rudy probably just didn't deserve the Defensive Player of the Year last year. Fine, Andy. Be all rational and logical. <laughs> and, God, whatever. Um, yeah. I, anyway, I yeah. we don't need to relitigate. Rudy Gobert's Defensive Player of the Year award, but let's let's talk about what we've seen so far. I mean, let's start with kind of the bigger picture stuff, which is some small changes to the offense um, in, in a way that's they're they're trying to push efficiency a little bit more. Yeah, uh, what I liked, and and I forget if you brought this up in the triple team or or one of your other stories, but just mentioning, um, you know, kind of how how they're how they're taking steps to put in more little wrinkles, more little nuances in terms of generating uh, more open looks. I think this was, I think this came after game one on Saturday night when they fired up uh, 30 first half three point attempts or, or whatever it was. It was over. It was at least 30. And, you know, you, you brought up this, this instance of Donovan Mitchell, you know, like unexpectedly kind of hurriedly pushing the ball up court so that they would have an opportunity to generate uh, a slightly more open look than what they would have had otherwise. And, and yeah, I mean, after kind of, a free throw. Yeah, that's that. That's what it was. I couldn't remember the circumstances in the moment, but just it was kind of this this nice little encapsulation, this nice little microcosm of what we've seen out of them. You know, this is a team that um, started to play a certain way last year after adding uh, Jordan Clarkson to the mix. And then they had to play a slightly different way in the bubble without Boyan Bogdanovich. And now they've got Boyan back and they've got Jordan Clarkson acclimated. And they've also got Mike Conley, who seems to really be comfortable with how things are going. And they've got Donovan Mitchell, who went off in Orlando. And 
they've just got all these things working together and and you know we've all seen them kind of on their own at, at different points and now it's kind of exciting to see them kind of come together and, and give this team just a whole bunch of options yeah no i i completely agree it's funny you know donovan's in his fourth year now and it's it's kind of cool to see him kind of taking on uh the coaches uh kind of his his agenda a little bit to say like hey yeah if you uh if we want us if we want to push the pace it's up to me to do it and you know if it's true donovan for as good of an athlete as he is has not been a push the pace kind of player in, in his young career you know he really has kind of been really okay with slowing the pace down, walking the ball up the court, and especially in critical moments. And and, and so if you are able to get pace out of him, I, I do think it makes him more efficient and makes the Jazz's offense more efficient too. And I mean, you you look at the difference between the Jazz were 10th last year offensively. That was an improvement over what they were the year before, the Ricky Rubio team that was 15th. But it wasn't, I don't think, to the potential of where this team could be with the pieces they have on the court. And so I think if you, you you look at the difference between them and the Dallas Mavericks, and it's about four points per 100 possessions, I, I think you look, you know, running in transition a little bit more, taking a few more threes, those are the kind of things that can make one or 2% difference. And, and maybe, you know, we do see them in the regular season. Now, that all being said, um, you know, we've talked about the Jazz speeding up the pace for like five years straight now, and it's been only one year where they were above average. So we'll we'll see if it actually happens. Yeah, I'm not holding my breath because I don't want to suffocate, but <laughs> I will admit I'd like to see it happen. You know, I'm thank you for explaining. Don't hold my breath for me. As as like I was, a... I was making it very literal. <laughs> I was I was taking a metaphor and making it literal. Um, you know. I'll, I'll put this out there as someone who is old and grew up watching the Showtime Lakers. Like I've always had this affinity for fast break basketball. And would I like to see the jazz capitalize on that a little bit more? Yeah. I think that's a potential advantage they have. You know, Rudy is not the most graceful guy out there, but he runs pretty well for a seven footer. Um, the rest of the guys, there's no reason, you know, other than Joe Ingles, who is just interminably slow, uh, there's no reason that they can't run and, and get out on the break more than they have. Um, well, and you bring I, up I, Joe Ingles. Uh, sorry, I, you bring up Joe Ingles, and it's funny because when we asked Boyan Bogdanovic about this this pushing, uh, he he said that it was actually partially Joe Ingles that inspired this, that Joe Ingles was actually maybe the most efficient player in the league last year in the first five seconds of the shot clock. And the reason is is, is because he's shot 54% from three in those kind of situations. So if you can get, even though Joe's not going to beat anyone down the court, you kind of get him moseying down there and can kick it out to him for three. And he's got these wide open shots that, you know, when he takes them, uh, they're, they're really good attempts. When he takes them. Yeah. That, that being, I know that's harsh, phrase there. but, but yeah. um, no, it, it's a good point. And of course, you know, I was being facetious about, you know, Joe's reputation as a, as a slow person. And now that he's, you know, mid thirties as, as an older person too. But um, <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I, Bogey makes a good point. Uh, Joe has definitely has a role to play in that. You know, it, it, it's not going to be a, Oh great. Joe Ingles is on the court. Uh, there's no chance of pushing the pace now type situation. Obviously that was, that was said for effect, right, right, right. but um, yeah, I, I'm interested to see whether or not that sticks, whether, whether or not it takes, because yeah, as you mentioned, Donovan Mitchell, you know, has an athletic profile that would suggest that 
that uh, those kind of adjustments would be optimal for his game. And we haven't really seen it. You know, he, he's, he's used his athleticism in one-on-one situations to try to break down defenders, to try to, you know, generate sudden movement uh, and, and explosive plays. But yeah, hasn't really been a guy that to this point has, you know, taken off on a consistent basis and, and, and kind of really attacked, you know, game after game, possession after possession. So I want to see it. Let's make it happen. Showtime jazz. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, to be the more statistical about it, the jazz were fifth last year in a half court offense at 98 points per hundred possessions in transition. They were sixth, 134 points per hundred possessions. It was just that because they, were so slow because they spent so many of their time, so much of their time in the half court rather than getting out and running those two factors, fifth and sixth added up to 10th because they just did so much more of the inefficient thing. So if you can do more of the efficient thing, it's a, it's, it's a, it, you know, it's good. Yeah. So much <laughs> tell Quinn Snyder about this. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It, it, Quinn, this is maybe the most self-deprecating I've heard Quinn was when we asked him about it. It's like, you know, it doesn't take a genius to figure out we should take more of the open and good shots. Yeah. And, uh, that was pretty Quinn, funny. Quinn actually is a genius, and yet, uh, yeah, it does not take a genius to, to figure this out. Um, so I, I'm encouraged by that. I don't see any real changes in the defensive scheme. Um, I just think that they're they're really kind of banking on the bench's defense being much better this year, thanks to Derek Favors. Um, I'm very curious to see how Shaq Harrison comes in and helps out. Uh, and and hopefully we get to see this that in in preseason game three. I'm not sure that we will, but if we do, um, you know, I, I think he is someone who actually does have a chance to make a difference for the Jazz this year uh, in a lot of different matchups. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see that. I, I mean, really, you know, after the Jazz went out and used their mid level exception on Derek Favors, that was kind of the average fans' lament right that that they hadn't addressed that uh deficiency in terms of perimeter defense and and how are they going to improve there because you know as, as you and I have mentioned before we've heard Donovan on multiple occasions say that he's committed to defense and he came into this league with a reputation as a de- as a defender and he wants to get back to that and show he can be at that level and we've heard it all before and we haven't seen it and and talk is cheap and whatnot and so you know waiting a few weeks and and then going out and adding Shaq Harrison on a, on a minimum contract on a one-year deal on kind of a show us what you got type uh, situation, I think will be intriguing. You know, do I expect him to, to be uh, the stopper as it were, you know, we we never hear that anymore. There used to be so many Kobe stoppers. Uh, Ruben Patterson comes to mind. That's a name I haven't heard in a million years. Raja Bell was a Kobe stopper. Yeah. So, who are we stopping now? Is it is it a Giannis stopper? Is it a Lucas stopper? I right. I think. Know. I mean. I think the leagues collectively realize that you know one on one defense is dumb and that it's a it's a five man team. You know, like it, it's a five man situation. But the problem is, is even when you have Rudy Gobert back there, if your guy is just getting constantly beat at the point of attack, uh, you you, it's not going to look good, right? It's it's going to be pretty ugly. And and so, I I think. You need perimeter defense to go along with the the interior defense that the Jazz clearly have, and I think Shaq Harrison gives them a chance to to provide that. Now he may just not get playing time. I do think he'll push Royce O'Neal for minutes, um, and in particular, I thought Royce's defense slipped off last year after the extension, 
if he comes back this year and and feels like he needs to earn something for you know earn some playing time quite frankly over Shaq Harrison and here's this young kid who's coming in and he's got length and uh, he's you know got defensive hustle and all that Bryce may need to kind of show what got him there in the first place to get uh, get a chance again yeah especially if uh, Shaq proves capable at all of, of hitting anything from three-point range which his first three years in the league were were not stellar in that regard. Last year, uh, you know, still didn't attempt a ton, but of what he did get up, his percentage was at least respectable. I, I want to say he was at like 37, 38% last year. Um, and again, on extremely low volume. So who knows if, if that actually counts for anything. But um, yeah, to your point, he's a guy who, who comes in with a reputation for, you know, being that guy for having that skill set for, for being able to fill that niche. And so if that helps get released back to the level that we've seen him at previously, great. Um, that's, that's another guy who can contribute there. Um, you brought up George Niang in your, in your uh, latest triple team as a guy who showed some flashes of improving defensive ability. And I mean, we started off this defensive conversation with, with you saying that, uh, the Jazz are hoping that their bench unit, that their second unit, can can kind of step it up there. Uh, what have you seen out of that group thus far? Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I think George, th- that may be a, a preseason hot take kind of thing, right? Where right. We'll, we'll I'll believe it when I see it when it comes in the regular season. You know, quite frankly, we have seen kind of really good defense plays from George Yang before. Yeah, I'm thinking of that chase down block in in L.A. that like maybe has gotten as as big of a reaction from an opposing crowd as any block I've seen on the road. I mean, it was was just an incredible play. And yet we know that George Niang is a bad defender because of all the other plays that add up to him getting beat um, or out of place or slower. You know, he's he's not the most nimble of athletes. Um, you you just kind of hope for individual improvement there, right? And, and if it isn't coming, then I do think there's an opportunity for someone like a Jawan Morgan um, a Darrell Brantley, if he gets much better, or even just Mieoni to play small um, to, to kind of take some of George's minutes if he's if he's not hitting threes or if he's still kind of iffy on the defensive end. So um, obviously the big change defensively is going from Tony Bradley to Derek Favors, um, who allows you to play a much more mobile style of defense uh, because of Favors' ability to move. Um, and Tony Bradley did not have that. Um, and, and then I think uh, you you hopefully have a little bit more cohesion in that defensive second unit as well because um, you know Emmanuel Mudiay is not super freestyling out there. Um, you you hope Shaq Harrison learns the system relatively quickly, you, and you've got a bunch of pieces that know how to play. You know you've got Mike Conley, Joe Ingles, Derek Favors, uh, and, and then you know whether it's George or or Jawan or Mie in that second unit. I, I think it's you've got some promising pieces. Uh, that that should be, you know, league average defensively at worst against against uh, opposing backup lineups. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's kind of funny. the phrase that you used there that that stood out to me was guys who know how to play. What an underrated component of an of a modern uh, NBA athlete that seems to be. You know, I should resign from my job right now for just using that phrase, right? Like if if I'm at the point where I'm saying guys who know how to play, does that mean we should stop selling subscriptions? Because like. <laughs> That's that's some hacky analysis right there, right? 
we're we're all prone to the occasional cliche there, Andy. Can I can I throw something out though? This is this is my old man take now of, of basketball at twenty nine years old. Ooh, Andy's I, old man. Take. Have you I, have you put on your cardigan for this special occasion? Oh, I'm wearing I'm wearing a sweater right now. This is this is real. Um, after watching a lot of G League games, the one of the biggest differences is just, uh, and maybe I think the biggest difference is just guys do really dumb stuff in the G League all the time. Like they just make constant mistakes, and it's rotational. It's uh, an offense who to pass the ball to. It's like they can't execute stuff like a dribble handoff. I mean, even in the, four, the, the, the fourth quarter of these last two games, you watch, um, you, you watch some of the Suns guys, like watching Jonathan Motley do a dribble handoff in the fourth quarter of that second game. And I was like, how did you mess up the dribble handoff? Like, that's a really pretty basic basketball skill. Um, so I am, I am coming around to guys knowing how to play being an important thing <laughs> as an old man. I'm I'm with you on that as an even older man. Although you know, <laughs> I would never resort to such a base and trite cliche as, of as you not. did. Yeah, uh, no cardigans in my wardrobe. <laughs> but um, let's let's dovetail off of that because um, honestly, like one of the fun components of the preseason schedule is that you tend to get uh, some extended looks at the young guys and the end of the bench guys, and, and you know this will be our last chance in, in a while yeah. <laughs> to see these guys for any extended period, especially with the truncated three game preseason schedule uh, this year, you know, well just, that um, and, and that the G league is going to be in a bubble in Atlanta. Like if, if the G league's in a bubble, I can't go to slick anymore to watch bad G league play. So yeah, um, I won't get to see Jawan Morgan up close every night, which, or, you know, insert player here, Jarrell Brantley, all G league first team last year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's, let's, that being said, let's, uh, give some time to the Udoka Azubukis of the world and the Jarrell yeah. Brantleys and the Mie Onis and the, you know, the Elijah Hughes's and, uh, what from that group of guys or, or whoever else, what jumps out at you? What are some of your, uh, what are some of your early impressions? Uh, let's start with Doak first. Yeah. Um, is, it's basically more athletic. I mean, I, I knew he was a big and, and athletic dude, and so it's been fun to see that. He's been more jumpy than I expected. Uh, you know, I expected kind of as a four-year college senior um, to come in and not obviously know how to play right away. But I remember, like, Derek Favors had this really impressive uh, defensive knowledge of, you know, how to play the game. Uh <laughs> right away when he was traded to the jazz as a 19 year old and doke as a 22 year old um does not is still pretty jumpy um his lateral movement is a little bit better than i thought so that's encouraging but i i don't think that he's going to be a plus player this year yeah i wholeheartedly agree with you i've I've honestly been like kind of surprised how many shot fakes he he bites on for a four-year college senior um and, you know, all those other things you mentioned are true as well. The, the lateral quickness better than I thought, you know, the the mobility better than I thought, even the verticality better than I thought when when even though that was, you know, the supposedly super impressive thing about him, that he's this seven but seven foot behemoth with a 40 plus inch vertical um, seeing him get to 
some jump shots and, and and get a piece of them and block them is you know uh, it's impressive it's it's fun to watch but yeah i think the basic understanding of of some pretty fundamental components just isn't there yet yeah um which is fine because you have Derek favors so you know i i guess if you're playing dokatan anyway it's it's not going to be great um and, and heck even if you want if you need to win i'd rather see Jawan morgan at the center for right now um than than doke although you know for development just play just play the first year or first round draft pick you just had yeah um elijah hughes while we're talking about draft picks uh i've liked him he's he's been fun he's a far more polished scorer than i would have expected from a rookie especially an underclassman but um you know, and especially a guy who went in the second round at that, but he's got a certain kind of innate knack for figuring things out in terms of how to generate uh, decent looks for himself. Um, and conversely, on the defensive end, he's uh, something of a dumpster fire right now, would be my initial impression. Yeah, I, I thought he was better in game two and game one, where I think, yeah, correct, dumpster fire would have been correct. Um, I, I, I think... Yeah, I, you know, I'm impressed with the first step. Um, I'm impressed with the shooting touch, um, you know, and, and I guess you don't want to judge a guy on two games of three-point shots, but I, you know, I, I like his willingness to get shots up, especially from a couple of feet behind the three-point line, the NBA three-point line, which is something a lot of college players struggle with. You know, they're so used to the, the shorter college three that they don't feel comfortable extending out to the NBA line and then further kind of where guys are actually spacing from in the NBA so that's good to see. Um, but yeah, he's he's got some significant distance before he can uh, contribute in a way that you know is a positive in in terms of defensively um, and and I guess overall because he is going to be questionable in those defensive situations for right now because you know again he hasn't played man defense in three years. Yeah, which makes it all the funnier that uh, Jim Beheim cursed when I asked him about whether Elijah Hughes could play any man defense or not. Because what, what did he say? Yeah, so I when I was doing a profile on on Elijah, I reached out to a Syracuse athletic department who who hooked me up with Coach Beheim's cell phone number and said, "Yeah, have at it." And you know, we got to talking about Elijah, and at first we were discussing things you know like very specific to his offensive game because that's what a lot of people were interested in. And then when I transitioned to defense, like I couldn't even get the the full sentence out of my mouth, you know, I, I brought up how there's this perception that Syracuse guys, as a result of playing zone in the scheme there, have difficulty defending on the NBA level. And and he immediately kind of interrupted and uh, used a few expletives to, to kind of give his thoughts on, on what that perception was. Um, he then named a few names of, of former Syracuse players who've not been abysmal defenders in the league i think uh he cited jeremy grant as kind of the most promising example of that for what it's worth but um okay it, it wasn't really it I it mean, sounded more defensive to me than convincing uh it was, he, he was very defensive about his defensive schemes all right so the last syracuse guy to be drafted was tyler Lydon. that's not gone great no. uh malachi richardson is just you know it's fine mm-hmm. um Tyler Ennis isn't a good defender. Jeremy Grant is, yeah, a pretty good defender. Michael Carter Williams is, yeah, a pretty good defender by now. He wasn't original at the beginning, but you know he was a rookie. Yep. 
uh, Fab Mello, Dion Waiters, Wesley Johnson, Johnny Flynn, Hakeem Warwick, Carmelo Anthony, uh, Jason Hart. None of these guys are like super awesome defenders. But anyway, yeah, I, I, he he cited Jeremy Grant, MCW, and uh, Dion Waiters as as the three uh, individuals who would disprove that notion. So. If you're going to Dion Waiters as your as your defensive, you know, as the reason people think you're good defensively, it's you're, you're stretching, is what I'm saying. It, it was Sorry, a stretch. He did he did Sorry. add a caveat with Dion that you know that was that was more a want to than a can he. <laughs> Well, that might be part fair, of the problem. Fair anyway. enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, I, you know, I think he's got a chance to figure it out. We'll see. But I, I do think that you know, we we talk about learning defense in the NBA like it's an easy thing. It's a, it's a really hard thing. Um, but I do think Elijah, you know, I, I wrote this in the triple team. I might take Elijah and and uh, Yudoka as kind of coin flip as to who will be the better prospect in in the NBA down the road. Right. Yeah. I mean, this whole this whole idea that had Elijah been the first round pick and Udoka the second round pick that it would have made people a lot happier with the Jazz's draft, which, again, was something that that you've that's alluded to and, and covered. But um, I think there's a little bit to it. I, I, that's that's the perception of these guys. Uh, if you draft a wing, three. if you draft Elijah Hughes as a wing while Jada McDaniels and, you know, who I didn't like, but and Desmond Bain and Robert Woodard and all these other guys are still on the board, uh, you're still getting a lot of D grades from a national draft and an analysts, like just like the Jazz did by, by drafting as a bouquet when, when they did. Right. Yeah. Um, for what it's worth, I, I'm really intrigued to see how Desmond Bain turns out because I would have loved to be here. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, so that covers this year's draft picks. Should we should we take a little bit of a look at last year's draft picks and undrafted yeah. guys for that matter? Uh, Justin Wright Foreman looks great. No. Um, <laughs> Long live JWF. Um, Mie only looks really good. Yeah. He was. Uh, Mie's defense is so funny to me because he uh, he gives a bigger gap than most guys on his man. Uh, more guys who you consider to be a, a good defender. And, and so he does kind of constantly incentivize just that pull-up jump shot over the top of him. But on everything else, he it does kind of give him a re- reaction time where he can defend without fouling. And I thought he did a tremendous job on Devin Booker at that, of, of, except for one time when he did bite on a, on a pump fake late in the shot clock to kind of stay down, keep his hands out of the cookie jar, show his hands to the defenders and yet being able to move laterally to, to stay in front, I thought was really impressive. Yeah. The reaction time and, and the fundamentals of not of staying in place of keeping in front without reaching and grabbing and, and fouling were kind of the impressive things there because yeah, I mean, Devin Booker is an incredibly hard guy to defend. And, you know, we heard, we heard from Quinn that the concern there is Devin Booker is uh, very adept at, you know, getting guys to reach and to jump and to to put themselves in bad positions and earn trips to the free throw line. And I thought in that respect, Mie honestly acquitted himself pretty well. You know, obviously Devin Booker wound up having a pretty efficient scoring game on in the rematch on Monday night, which, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that Mie didn't play good defense on him. Um Mie for what he is, there there are some tools there. There's some promising tools. And um it's interesting that we heard from 
the coaches in the front office that, you know, initially that they didn't feel compelled to go out and get one of those perimeter defense guys because they liked uh, the improvement they'd seen out of Mie. And and then, you know, two weeks later, Shaq Harrison was here in town. So we'll see what kind of opportunities Mie gets down the line. He'll get some. The the season is structured as such that, you know, someone's going to sit out, someone's going to get COVID, someone's going to need a rest day, and, and he'll get his opportunities. Yeah, and I think he's deserved them. We have to stop as a media group and, you know, I guess as a fan base, stop believing the front office when they give explanations like that about players. You know, like if if when they said that Tony Bradley was the they really believed him in as as the center of the future and then dumped him for a second round draft pick a a month later, you know, that was uh, or sorry, used a second round pick to dump him. Needed a second round draft pick attached to him to dump him. Uh, That that we you know. That may have been a lie at that point. <laughs> um, when they said how much they believed in Dante Exum and then, again, needed two second-round picks to dump him for Jordan Clarkson, uh, that may have been a sign that, hey, maybe there wasn't wholehearted belief in Dante Exum and what he can do as a player. You know, like, yeah. at a certain point, we have to call a spade a spade and and say what we believe about players. Nevertheless, Mie, I think, can be a good NBA defender. I don't think he has right now to be what it takes to be a difference-making NBA defender, but I think he's good enough to definitely stay out there on the floor. And then it becomes about his ability to knock down corner threes to to you know be a a plus player, a, a really good three and D player, which he he has a chance to be. I don't think he's there yet, um, but he's it's he's kind of definitely the best. Uh, He's the best prospect out of the this Jazz kind of 12 through 15, I guess. Yeah, 12 through 15 now if you count the two-way guys on the roster. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I want to see some progress on those on those corner threes. You know, it was fun seeing him get thrown into pick and roll ball handling situations on in those games. But, you know, he himself mentioned when he's out there more often than not, his his role on the offensive end is going to be to generate space for the guys who are uh, more skilled at, at getting to the hoop. And so, yeah, he's going to need to be able to knock down that corner three with a lot more consistency than what he's got now. But, you know, we've already seen some progress out of him. So yeah. I, I'm encouraged in thinking that, uh, you know, we can see improvement on the other end too. Agreed. Um, Jarrell Brantley. Yeah. <sighs> Just, isn't, isn't it funny that last year he was the guy that everyone was excited about, you know, that he had all the unique skills in the toolbox. And, and now in these first two games, I thought you phrased it really well, that that it feels like he's trying a little too hard to, to fit in. And as a result, it, it's making him like not stand out at all. Yeah, it's and you know if I'm Jarrell Brantley, I'm like, what do you want from me, Andy? You told me to you have to I have to fit in better. Now I'm fitting in. Now you want me to stand out again? What is it? And it's like Jarrell, what we want is the good stuff and not the bad stuff. <laughs> so yeah, that's all. And, and I mean, <laughs> obviously, Andy, but you know we want the playmaking, we want the athleticism, we want the the blocks and the steals. Uh, we don't want the you know, the dumb plays, the, the game break, the play breaking decisions where you're, you're not going in the direction of the scripted play. Uh, we don't want the turnovers, you know, we, we want uh, to, uh, for Jarrell to kind of fit in, in a team concept defensively. And 
Uh, I think he's shown his defense has improved, but you know, kind of now it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's a, it's a process, right. Of figuring out where he can, where he can really contribute. And I don't think Quinn Snyder knows right now when he puts Jarrell Brantley on the floor, what he's going to get from it. Yeah. So there's just not a lot of reason to put Jarrell Brantley out there on the floor. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting, right? Like after the season ended and and we were taking a look at this roster and, and kind of trying to project who could fill in those, those back end rotation spots or those end of roster spots. And I think, we all kind of jumped to a conclusion that that Jarrell, based on what he showed last year in the G League, would maybe get you know a full fledged roster spot this year, an NBA roster spot, and then um, you know we see one go to Elijah Hughes, and we see Jarrell wind up on a on another two way. Um, and initially, you could you know some people were questioning that as man, how did that happen? But then you see games like what he showed us against phoenix and and it makes all the sense in the world you know and and i'll say that's also a luxury tax decision too i mean so because drell's in his second year you have to pay him 1.4 or 1.5 million dollars compared to nine hundred thousand, like you would for a rookie and so you know they just dumped ray john tucker along with a second round pick in order to save three hundred and forty thousand dollars uh if they could get Drell to stick around on a two-way rather than a full contract, it saves them six hundred thousand dollars, which just makes it makes it much more likely they can stay under the luxury tax when the season's all said and done. All fair points, but I'll go back to arguing that okay. if you had to choose between the two, which which of Jarrell Brantley and, and Elijah Hughes is more ready to contribute to an NBA roster like right at this moment, I would argue it's it's Elijah Hughes. Uh, just because, you know, going back to that comment you made about uh, lamenting not being able to see G League guys just constantly make dumb mistakes. Like, that's where I view Jarrell Brantley right now. Like, he's he's got a host of physical talents, but he just makes so many silly errors. And, and he just does so many kind of bizarre things out there that... um yeah, I, I view him as not being ready for a full-time roster spot yet, which um, probably is the wrong way to look at things. You know, if if he were there all the time, and again, the constructs of, of how much time G League guys can spend with the team this year will help. But if he had a regular roster spot, you know, maybe he maybe he picks up more from being around those guys every single day and learning. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Or, or, or do you know, are the stars going to be part of this G league bubble? Uh, yeah. Ridiculous upside reported that they will be. Okay. Um, so I don't know. Then again, maybe it makes sense for him to be there and like constantly playing, you know, getting actual minutes in games, learning how to interact with other athletes on a court, um, and, and figuring some of those things out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's an interesting decision, right? Um, first of all, you know he's limited in the number of time the the amount of uh, time he can spend with the Jazz, right? So, um, but on the other hand, if you do want him, then you you know you have to call him up from the G League, and then there has to be a quarantine period and all of that. Um, and so that's going to be really interesting for G League guys this year. I, I think ultimately, I I think you're right. I would put him down in in the G league bubble and, and have him figure it out down there because I do think that there are just some really good op. I guess some 
some players above him, quite frankly, in in the you know third unit rotation that you'd you'd rather just see him play, get some spend, uh, get some playing time down in in, in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, along those lines, should we uh, should we wrap things up with your favorite four slash five, Jawan Morgan? Sure. I, I mean, are we going to talk about Trent Forrest? We need to talk about Trent Forrest. Yeah, uh, let's let's talk about Trent Forrest. All right, Jawan Morgan though. Um, Jawan Morgan is still um, Jawan Morgan is the absolute exception to the rule that G League players don't know how to play basketball, and that is Jawan Morgan is is a brilliant basketball player <laughs> who uh, is not super good at jumping and moving, and yet is just like just knows how to do the right thing on on every uh, on everything he does. I mean his defensive rotations are brilliant. Um his passing in the short roll is brilliant. Uh his screen settings very good. And there's just a reason why like the Stars had like a huge 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 uh plus minus advantage when he was out there on the floor is just because he's he impacts the game as a result in a lot of different ways uh despite you know, not being the the sexiest guy. It's, it's kind of the opposite of Jarrell Brantley last year, where Jarrell Brantley was off the court, uh, you know, off the charts athletic and did all this cool stuff and, and put up eye-popping numbers. And Jawan Morgan would just, you know, quietly put up 18 and 10 and be the, the best player on the floor. Um, he, as a result of that, he he still fits in, in as kind of the fifth guy in the lineups. And that's ultimately why Quinn Snyder trusted him to start in the actual NBA playoffs last year. Um, it's interesting to me what his role will be, you know, um, whether he's a four or a backup five, I I think Quinn has talked about him as, as both. Um, and it's, you know, I think he's got some skill sets at both, you know, honestly, again, given, I think one of his best skill sets is that short role decision-making. I, I like him as a five, maybe more than as a four, but, um, he's, he's improved enough at the three point shot that I think he can fit in as, as a four and, and do some good stuff. Yeah, I'm there with you. And and it's interesting because, you know, I've had I've seen Tony Jones, our good friend Tony Jones, make this argument before uh, where where people will talk about uh, Jawan being a five and, and Tony's very quick to interject. No, Jawan is a four. I'm with you. I, I kind of like how his skill set plays as a backup five better than as a four, just because, you know, I, I feel like his headiness puts him in the right positions to account for that lack of athleticism and, and it doesn't work as well uh, playing at the four spot in my opinion. So I'm there with you. I think he's better suited as, as a five and maybe given what we've seen out of, out of Udoka thus far, that's where we wind up seeing whatever minutes he gets happen. Um, You know, I I suppose we could see him paired with, with fave or, or or rudy but i don't know and maybe this is too simplistic to say but i think in, in the 2020 nba anyone who you're having an argument about whether or not he's a four or a five is is probably better as a five um even you know anthony davis is one of the most versatile players in the history of the nba and yet um i thought the lakers got a lot better last year and and you can confirm or deny this for me as a laker fan uh that I thought that the Lakers got a lot better last year when they played Anthony Davis at the five to, to end the playoffs. What do you think? Yeah, it's, it's a funny thing because he has been fairly averse to it. And that was part of the reason why they had, you know, JaVale McGee and, and why they brought in Dwight Howard once DeMarcus Cousins went out. And yet when they got to certain playoff matchups, they said, 
look, dude, you're you're going to operate so much better as the five in this rotation. And to his credit, you know, he went along with it. And yeah, you're you're absolutely right. They were far better with him at the five. Now, um, you know, they're going to be in a similar situation this year where they brought in Mark Gasol and, and Montrez Harrell, who are probably definitely going to take up the bulk of the minutes there. And so he'll be back at the four. But um, yeah, I agree. I agree with you in most in most of those arguments. If, if there's any doubt, put him at the put him at the five because that's where they probably belong. Yeah, I mean, I I think like Kristaps Porzingis, Derek Favors. I mean, I, I think they're just like all of these. Any anyone who's got height and kind of mobility issues, um, I think is is probably better as a five so long as they they can rebound. And and Jawan Morgan's a very fundamental, pretty good rebounder. So, um, yeah, I, I you know I, I think he's a five, but I think he's I think he's better as a five. I think he's capable of playing the four um, because. He is a little bit better of a shooter than Derek Favors is, uh, or at least in, in in my mind he is. I don't know actually if that's that's actually true, um, <laughs> but Derek Favors has had very limited NBA results at the three, whereas uh, Jawan Morgan's had some pretty good G League results at the three. Forrest, let's wrap um, up with Trent Forrest. Okay, uh, we haven't uh, no Jake Toulson talk. No. Okay, Trent Forrest. <laughs> is good. Trent Forrest is fun. Uh, Trent Forrest can't shoot a lick, or at least he couldn't in college. Uh, he was a 25% three-point shooter in college, and yet he does really smart point guard things. Like He's he's shown really good ability to snake on the pick and roll, and he's shown really good immediate timing on, on lob passes and kickouts. Um, he's he's fun. He is... I, I made this joke, and I'm not sure if I believe it, but is it weird that I like Trent Forrest more than Emmanuel Moutier? No. It's it's not weird. At, it makes all the sense in the world to me why you, Andy B. Larson, <laughs> would like Trent Forrest over Emmanuel Moutier. I uh, mean, look, let's, I, let's, I, let's I get psychological here and see if you can figure it out for yourself. I, I think Emmanuel Moutier might be a better basketball player, and yet um, Trent Forrest has an NBA job right now, and I'm and Emmanuel Moutier does not. So I mean, like. When we say he has an NBA job right now, let's 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 clarify. He's on a two-way contract, sure. and he's going to be playing for the Stars this year. He's not. Moutier cannot. Yeah, Moutier cannot sign a two two-way contract. Right. Like you know, some someone last week was talking about how Levar Ball should be so proud because uh, LiAngelo had made it back to the league, and now all three of his sons were playing in the NBA, and Levar showed everyone. And I'm like. Angelo Ball's gonna get cut by the Pistons in a week, and guess what happened? You know, yeah, because right, yeah, it was an exhibit ten deal. I mean, yeah, I, I think, yes. First of so, all, Lavar, so, yeah, Lavar still should be proud. Let's stand for Lavar here and say, hey, at least two of his sons made the NBA, and that's pretty good. Yeah, that that's awesome. I, I'm, I mean, just, I'm just saying, NBA, if we're, Eric. If, I mean. I'm got, I got to get him back to training. <laughs> time, he's 22 now, so time is starting to run yeah. out. You know, things Maybe. are starting to look a little dicey. Maybe for my uh, for my five foot eight, 22 year old non basketball playing son's chances of making the NBA. But um, yeah, so anyway, the point was. <laughs> It's perhaps a little unfair to say that Trent Forrest has an NBA job and Emmanuel Moutier doesn't, but that said, let, let, let's get back to your broader point. 
Uh, my broader point is that uh, basically Trent Forrest can pass and he can defend. That I mean, the defense is is his calling card as as an NBA point guard. He's you know six four. He's got six seven a six seven wingspan and showed really good defense ability in college and and I think has shown that off so far at, in the preseason minutes we've seen um, that he can defend at that level too. Um, you know, obviously preseason is not the regular season, but I I think he's a He's a he's a good prospect. I, I you know as as far as two way pro- prospects go, and I think if he ever does get the jump shot, um, I, I think he can be an NBA player. Yeah, he's he's a smart offensive player, and yeah, he's a tenacious defender. I shouldn't say tenacious defender. That's so cliche. That's as that's as bad as your. He knows how to play, but um, <laughs> he's 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 a smart and aggressive defender, and and. That goes a long way for a guy in his position. So yeah, can he ever get a decent jump shot going? Because honestly, that's that's the thing that's holding a guy like him back at this point, right? The fact that he was a 25% three-point shooter in this modern NBA is just an egregious oversight on whoever taught him basketball as a, as a kid. But um, yeah. You know, yeah, there, there's a lot to like there. There's a lot to be excited about. And, and there's a, there's every reason to believe that if he can somehow find a way to correct that one obscene deficiency in his game that uh, he's he's got a chance to play. I mean, it kind of reminds me of Ty Wallace uh, a little bit, which is the last long point guard that the Jazz drafted who had no idea how to shoot. And uh the Jazz waved him. He went to the Clippers and actually contributed and was in their starting lineup for a little bit. Um, now, you know, now is back on the fringes of the NBA. And so you can't say like, yeah, definitely Ty Wallace is a success story. Um, but he does enough of the right things that, hey, maybe he's got a chance to be like Ty Wallace, get that chance and then stick, um, which would be which would be cool. Yeah. So Trent Forrest, we like him. Good luck getting that jump shot going. Yes. Um Anybody else that we want to talk about? Not really. I, th- I think we've covered most of the bases. Like Jake Toulson, no. He, he, he's, he's there because, you know, he's a local kid and they're doing him a solid. And, yeah. and he can shoot. Like, uh, I, I think Jake Toulson will be a perfectly fine uh, international player. You know, he's he's got J.C. Carroll light potential. <laughs> JC Carroll light potential international player. Yeah, I don't I don't think he'd necessitate I mean, he further will... conversation on this prestigious weekly run podcast. <laughs> uh, I mean, we talked about your son's basketball ability. We can talk about his. I think we gave them like roughly equal coverage, which is probably <laughs> probably a sign we should wrap the podcast up. Yes. All right, sounds good. Yeah. Well, as always Please subscribe to the Salt Lake Tribune, sltrib.com slash subscribe. Eric, do we have any deals or subscription benefits going right now? I don't know. Everything's all new and changing, and I can't keep track. Um, You know, we've got our new weekly publication coming out soon at the start of 2021. So, you know, if you're you're not presently a subscriber, you should look into that. Um, I'm sure there's some kind of deal going where you you can get a digital deal if you sign up for the... Sunday edition, which is going to be expanded coverage. It's going to be bigger than what our Sunday paper has been. Um, and, you know, it, it's going to be full of great feature reporting from all over the Salt Lake Tribune. So that's exciting. Uh, and and bonus, 
it's still going to be delivered to your doorstep. So yeah, in, in particular, I'm going to be doing a lot of articles for that because uh, they've asked me to. So <laughs> I'm both sports and COVID and general data articles. Um, I've got a whole list of uh, topics that that we're working on stories for, and and it's um, yeah, it's it's going to be kind of cool. So yeah, that's uh, reason no, enough for everyone cool. to subscribe. Bonus so, and yeah, have we have we announced the price on that? Like we heard it today in our meeting. Do we have we told people about it? I don't know if we've told people. Um, Let's say that it costs about as much as a Subway sandwich foot long on <laughs> uh, their <laughs> indeed the exact price. Yeah, of, what what they wait, used to be all the time, and what they're what, oh yeah, what they used to be. Yeah, and what and what a certain jingle would still advertise them as being if they're on sale. Yes. Yeah. Correct. You they're know, that price. You know what so, we're talking about. You might do a bet over this amount. Uh, anyway, we'll we'll move on. <laughs> yeah. Probably probably Abraham Lincoln's visage would look <laughs> would look decent on a uh, on a bill amount of this yeah. denomination. Yeah. Hmm. Um. So yeah, check that out. Of course, we've got the Triv photo book, which is cool. And then we're still, you know, we need subscribers. So subscribe, please. That's yeah. Important. Subscribe to our digital product. We're still doing, you know, we're only we're only going to print one day a week. We're still doing the news seven days a week. So and we're uh, still doing the e edition six days a week, which is cool for um, people who who prefer their news that way. Yeah. Again, go to sltrip.com/slash subscribe and find the plan that is right for you. And you still get a copy of New York Times when you sign up. So that's that's cool. Yeah. Um, like a, a year subscription, not just one New York Times, but several. Anyway. All right, that's a that's our podcast. That's a weekly run. Please continue to check out our coverage as the season begins next week. Uh, the Jazz go to Portland, and we we get this thing this thing really started. I'm excited for it. Eric. You ready? I'm ready to not travel on the road at all. It's <laughs> gonna be weird watching it's gonna be weird. watching all the road games on TV. But there is absolutely no benefit of of traveling because all the all the interviews are on Zoom anyway. Um, but nevertheless, I would yeah, I'll listen to you. Anyway, that's a weekly run. Thank you guys so much for listening. Everyone, have a good one. Bye. Bye.